This is Intentional Disruption. I'm your host, Mike Demo. Today, it's all about the cars, more specifically, the car dealership. Sit back and relax. This is going to be a good one. I've been a car guy my entire life. My dad was a mechanic. Uh, I always ended up around cars. Loved playing with little matchbox cars when I was a kid, me and my best friend Eric. Even little Tonka trucks. They always spoke to me, and they spoke to me because it was about freedom. When I finally had a car, I could get away. Ironically enough, that's the reason I started driving at 14, much to my parents' chagrin. And it was one of the better things that, in my 14-year-old mind, I'd ever done. Because it just felt like so much freedom. And it was a lot easier than riding my bike, if we're going to be honest. My first cars were very, very glamorous. Uh, I almost had a Honda Accord, but it was too rusty because Connecticut. So my first vehicle in the spring of 1999 was a 1985 Chevy Suburban. That was my stepdad's old work truck. It seated everybody that you'd ever want to see. Three rows of fun. Of course, one of the first things I did was fold the middle seats forward to put a big set of speakers in there because who doesn't need a loud stereo? Especially in an old truck where it squeaks and rattles so much that you needed something to drown that out. It was nicknamed the Beast by my friends because it had a little bit of a lift to it. And quite frankly, we were pretty sure it could run over anything at the cost of highway mile per gallon of six. Yes, that's right, six. And around town, I got three. Now, for perspective from my time in the Marine Corps, a Abrams tank weighs 60 some odd tons and it gets one mile per gallon. So there's definitely an inefficiency somewhere in that process. But I always loved the cars, and it led me in 2003 to get my first job not as a mechanic. So my dad had a shop when I was in high school. I tinkered around as the shop apprentice there, learned where an alternator was, what it did. But that was just my dad's shop. In 2003, I went to work for the local Saturn dealership. Some of you may not remember Saturn. They're actually pretty interesting. The panels were made of plastic, so they didn't dent. So it was a great city car. I swear to God, every one of my girlfriends for probably five years straight owned a Saturn of some sort. It was like the unofficial car that girls drove Mike around in. Don't ask me how that happened, but that's the facts. 
when I was at the dealership, I started off as a detailer. See, I needed to make a couple bucks, and if you're quick, you can make okay money detailing cars. Eventually, the dealership needed a lock guy, and that became me. So, 21 years old, yeah, I'll drive things around, move cars, make the sales process happen. It was the lowest man on the totem pole by far, which was hilarious to me because I found out really quickly that I wanted to move over to the sales department. We actually had a kid that didn't have a driver's license but was selling cars. Not sure how that worked, but I'm sure his clients thoroughly enjoyed the test drive because, well, they got to do everything because he couldn't do any of it. That's where I started to learn a little bit about the ins and the outs of the business. One of my good friends, uh, Chris, I'll have on on a future episode. Um, he actually still works in the industry. So it'll be nice to get some perspective from him after this episode. Well, one of the things that I saw when I was there is the push-pull-toe sale. This was the first time that I realized that I didn't trust car dealerships or salesmen, sales managers. We would have a group come in. They would remark every car on the lot with a new price tag for the sale. What's interesting about that, and I haven't thought about this in years, but I remember one of my friends showed up. They needed a car. And I told them to come back in a week when the prices were better. And they were like, but, but there's a push-pull toe. you like $3,000 for whatever hoopty I have. And I told them, well, yeah, that's true. But $3,000 off of what number? See, there was a one-year-old Saturn on the lot. Not many miles. I mean, it was, I mean, you can't really do too many miles in one year. But the strikethrough price for push-pull tow was actually higher than the original MSRP on the car, which you don't have to be a math major to understand that that's not really the way that that's supposed to work. You know, maybe with a Ford GT, those might have gone up, but that was limited production. This is a Saturn made of plastic. So it was disingenuous, and that left a really bad taste in my mouth. And it made me think about how, as a customer, what is that experience like? I'm sure as you're listening, you've bought a car before. And there's a lot of anxiety that goes into it. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Obviously, unless you're a true car guy, gearhead, uh, petrol head for anybody listening in the UK, people really... A lot of them consider cars to be appliances. I know when I took uh, my fiance Lauren, to look for a new SUV, I had opinions on what would be a good car to get. Uh, my personal thought was a Subaru would be a great idea. She didn't like the way they looked. So the fact that it has one of the best all-wheel drive systems in the industry, period, 
didn't matter because she didn't like the way you looked. So we went through a couple different options. I let her kind of feel it out. Um, I did my research and said, well, you should probably check out the Hyundai Santa Fe based on what you're talking about. And for another week, two weeks, she looked at all these other cars, thought about it. Long story short, she has uh, a Hyundai Santa Fe in the driveway that pretty much exactly what I had picked out. And I went with her through the sales process. And it was interesting to me. Full disclosure, I've also worked on the sales department. I'll talk about that in a minute. But how it's a different language. See, most people aren't experts in what it costs to fix a car, how the car works, what the features are. So there's a lot of ambiguity in how things work, what the pricing is. It's what we'll call not necessarily opaque. There's no clarity at all for the most part. And I mean, there's services like True Car, and that's great, but you know, they don't tell the entire story. Think to yourself the last time you had to buy a car, but the anxiety and the haggle, and I'll go one dealership and I'll check it against the next dealership. Like there's a lot of excess energy put into something that can actually be a rather simple procedure if there's two things you have a clear understanding for what you want need and the sales team helps you towards that goal the other part of that process is inevitably you need to get the car serviced and if you don't necessarily know what it costs to do something or you're not handy man you can go for a ringer I know with my truck I brought it to the dealership because I had an extended warranty and my Silverado had the back window motor fail so I brought it to them you know, figured see what's going on with it turns out my warranty wouldn't cover it because of some clause or technicality so I asked the dealer what they would charge to do that. The number was $700. Now that's all fair and good. I went on Rock Auto, bought the part for $60, and I changed it out myself in about an hour. Once again, if you have the ability to do it yourself, it's worth, even if you aren't mechanically inclined, just take a look on the internet. You can probably find some opportunities to uh, potentially do the job yourself and save a ton of money. But these are all things that create anxiety and stress. But now I want to pivot. And I want to pivot because I know that there's people that are in the industry that are going to be listening. And I want to talk to you specifically. See, back in 2011, I was working at Subaru in a dealership in Connecticut. I was actually the top grossing and top netting salesperson per unit. Not easy to do as the junior representative because you get put at the back of the, uh, the bus, as it were. But I had a very simple philosophy 
and I told everyone my clients this, and if you manage a dealership, I'm happy to teach some of these sales techniques because my close ratio was better, my gross was better, and my clients left the dealership happier than they did working with other people. And it started with three simple premises that I set. So if I sat down with you as my client, I'd set the table. And what I'd let you know is that I wanted to make sure that we covered three things. We found the car that fits your need, your style, but most importantly, your budget. And if those three factors could be successfully accounted for, there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to go forward and conduct the sale today. Now, that might sound like a cheesy pickup line at a bar, but if you think about it, I truly cared as somebody that worked in servicing the vehicle, now in selling the vehicle, I truly wanted to make sure that you got what was exactly right for you. Now, I worked on the new car side. Half the time I ended up selling a used car based on those criteria. And that's absolutely fine. I wasn't trying to get my clients into the car that was going to have the best markup or whatever it was. But if truly based on those factors, the new vehicle wasn't the best option, maybe it was another car on the used side. But there was that empathy and understanding and most importantly, asking smart questions so that I knew that at the end of that transaction, I was helping that client get exactly what they needed. I'd make sure to personally go through and watch the inspection. I'd look up the reports on it. So as far as your used car salesmen go, I'd like to think that I was a bit of an outlier. Now that's only one part of the process. For the sales managers in the industry that are listening, not being able to have an open and honest discussion with your client about the pricing of the vehicle as the sales representative is killing your business. You might be happy that you're shipping units, that you're have high turnover of inventory. You're losing money every day by not empowering your sales reps. I know this because the dealership that I worked at had one of the worst people I've ever worked with. We'll call him Rich. And as somebody that was trying to deal openly and honestly with a client, writing up an order sheet and then bringing it to the sales manager to approve could be a tenuous process, especially because I wasn't allowed to know how much a car truly cost. Now you might say that and it's like, Mike, but there's a sticker. Yeah, there's a sticker, but there's also what the dealership pays for the car. And if you don't know that number, you know, it's actually not a wide margin for a lot of cars. So don't think, oh, I can get the car for a third off. No, it, it actually does cost more than that. 
but let's say it's a $30,000 Subaru Legacy. Great car. But the client's budget is $27,000. There's two options. One, and what I would normally do is, well, let's see, potentially if you don't need all the options that are in the car that we're looking at, does the one that has a couple less but fits in your budget suit you just as well? And a lot of the times that's fine and we'll go forward. But if there were some key factors that they wanted, say it was navigation or whatever it was, and that was the car for them, I would be told to write an offer sheet, say 27.5. And I'd ask the sales manager, you know, hey, Betty is looking to buy this car. They're ready to go forward. They want to know if at 27.5 they can buy that car. And the sales manager would tell me, we'll get the order sheet written and then we'll see. It's like, well, what's going to change? Like, why why can't you just tell me that answer? And I'd get the commitment, credit card deposit, ready to go. 27.5, bring the order sheet over. And you go, no, we can't do it for that. We could do it for 29. It's like, well, why didn't you just tell me that? And I could have an open and honest conversation. So obviously now we've got an issue. And this would come up often where, Say a car's $30,000. Clients waffling because I can't tell them, well, I can discount it. And I'd go to Rich and say, you know, where could we go? And the next thing that we said is, well, ask them if, they, if the car was $25,000, would they buy it? My, my answer immediately is, well, if I get that order sheet, signed into you will you sign it we'll just get to get it signed see you know get them to sign that okay $25,000 signed I can't sell the car for $25,000 here $28,000 if they'll take it that disingenuous nature cost business and it creates a tense environment because it's not an open environment Inevitably, there's some sales manager out there that's saying, no, that that's fine. That's how it works. It doesn't work. And as the industry becomes more commoditized, you're going to fail unless you adapt and learn. Once again, happy to teach. I'll, I'll come out to your team. I'll teach these sales techniques. Your ratings on dealer rater will go up. Your satisfaction scores for your surveys is going to go up. And you will have higher net revenue in your dealership. I promise you that much. Now, listening as the consumer, that that was a lot of jargon. But what I want you to know is most of these people, they're good people. And if we're going to be realistic about it, saving an additional $500 on a car, if you're financing it over five years, it makes a minimal difference. Rule of thumb is for every $10,000 you spend, it's a $200 car payment. So if you're saving even $1,000, how much are you really saving on your monthly bill? You know, those people that are working at that dealership, the majority of how they're paid is on commission, which is fine. But that's how they're feeding their family. 
And if they've invested an hour of their time in you, spend the additional money. Depending on what your current role is right now, if you're a high net worth earner, that extra, say, $1,000, $2,000, what's your hourly rate? By the time you research, go dealership to dealership, what's a true cost opportunity-wise? Is it really worth haggling? You see, when I brought Lauren in to purchase her car, it was just outside of uh, certified pre-owned, which, you know, for her, not being somebody that's going to work on the car, she really wanted. I get it. Certified pre-owned is basically the warranty baked into the cost of the car, just so you know. You're paying for the warranty as part of CPO. Like, it's not, oh, they're doing it for free. It's not a charity. It has a cost. It's an insurance policy. You're, you are paying for it. So we had to look at a warranty for the car, and they wanted those $3,000 for that. You know, this is a car, it was only like fifteen grand. A certified pre-owned car would have been nineteen grand. So when I talked with the sales rep, I let, I let him know, one, that I had worked in the industry. You know, you want to be open about that. And said, look, we want to come to a deal that's fair for us and that's fair for you. I'm not going to look to completely burn you, make it what's called a flat where there's potentially a loss. But we want to have a fair deal for both parties. And the look on his face and the relief in his face was quite evident because he felt understood. So when we talked with him, invited the sales manager over, we came to an arrangement where the cost of the warranty was basically the cost of the warranty. Um, I don't want to get into the, the finance side of the dealership on this particular episode. But say the warranty was three grand. We worked out an arrangement where we dropped the price in the car. It was like $1,500. Basically, this car, if it had 3,000 less miles on it, would have come with CPO at a slightly higher cost. Let's split the difference on what that additional warranty coverage costs for this car because it is important. Done, in and out, no stress, nice and easy. See, where in your life are you letting haggling over nickels cost you dollars in production elsewhere? As a customer of the business, they don't make the money in the first sale. There's an acquisition cost to a client. Where they're going to make the money is down the road. You need to service that vehicle. And more than likely, you're going to go where you bought it because if you had a good experience, you know, trust and like them. That's been the case for this car. Lauren does her maintenance there. They've generated additional revenue from that sale because she feels comfortable going there.
So to wrap up, as a consumer, don't look for the best price. Look for the fair deal. Make sure that you're getting good value, but you're also giving good value. If you're in the sales industry, sales management, dealerships, or really any other sales and service-based organization, I invite you to reach out to me, either in your review here, reach out to me at Coach Mike Demo on Facebook. Feel free to check me out, intentionaldisruption.net. Let me know what your questions are, because I promise you that I will increase the revenue inside of your dealership, your small business, whatever organization that you're running, by helping you put the client first to make more money. I'm Mike Demo, and that's how you intentionally disrupt the car sale world.